Hi, and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This episode, I'll say, I think is my most up-to-date case I've ever covered. Like, I could be wrong, but let's be honest, it's a lot newer than some of the Victorian ones I've done. So today, I'm going to be telling you about Shea Groves. Have you heard of this one? I don't think I have. Well. Which is crazy. When you said it was up to date, I was like, okay. And there was like a few names that came to my head. But then I don't know there's one. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, up to date for you could be like 1940. <laughs> you guessed it. This is actually set in 1946. So I'll just, no, I'm kidding. It, I was like, <laughs> no, it's not. I actually was stunned there. I was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> No, no. Right. So I will just begin. So Shay Groves was born in January 1996 and she lived in Haven in England, which is at the very south. I'd say it's below London if you wanted to look at it on a map. Shay did not have a great childhood, to say the least. She was sadly subject to physical, sexual and mental abuse from a very young age. When she was old enough to start school, she was also subject to bullying throughout. And so she never really caught a break. At the age of 11, she started wearing a hearing aid as she was partially deaf. And you guessed it, she even got bullied for that. Now, children, I guess, do just bully you at that age. Now, at the age of 13, she also started to health, health sorry, self-harm to deal with her depression, which with everything she's been gone, going through already at such a young age, it's just terribly sad. Now, she was what you would call a goth. She was into dark things, heavy metal music and so on. And to be quite honest, I'd say she looked like a stereotypical goth. What we'd most likely have probably also called an emo at our school, Caitlin, but I'm pretty sure you were a bit of one at the time. Yeah, yeah, I was. I think I still am. Yeah, I just, just don't dress the that way. Yeah, yeah, I'm just a ginger emo now. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a phase, Mum. Now, as we all know, kids are awful, like I said, at the best of times. So when it came to social norms, and Shay clearly did not fit in that bubble. So goths as well, goths, emos, etc. They were, I would say, from my opinion, more likely to be bullied or slagged off just because they look different. Um, I don't know if you agree, but I'd say it's a big thing. Even you'd be like, you would slag someone and call them a goth, even if they weren't one. I Not me and you. Anything. No, no, no. I was going to say, I didn't bully anyone. But I think, no, no, like, no. being different was enough for kids to bully because I think, especially when we were at school, it was kind of a scary thing being different. So I think people did bully anyone that was different, anyone that was into something that wasn't the social norm. Yeah, you're completely correct. And that is what happened here. Now, I say that she was bullied as well for being a goth, but actually one of the main things about that was she liked that aspect of herself she loved it and with everything else that's been going through and she's getting bullied for this that and everything like she wasn't going to change for anyone so that's like I'd say that's quite a good thing on that part now due to the self-harming she was actually finally 
should I say, sent for her first ever mental health check when she was in her teenage years, and the psychiatrist diagnosed her with bipolar disorder. At around the same time, still as a young teenager, she started to turn to alcohol and drugs to self-medicate. Now, when at school, the people around her called her Chucky, after the doll, you know, in the movie, but I wouldn't say that was from, like, a load of friends, because she didn't really have many, and she wasn't a very sociable person. Now, Shay was later described as being a very manipulative person, so keep that in mind. And whilst at school, she did have two main best friends, one named Lauren White and the other Vicky Beatup. Shay was really close with Lauren, but not so much with Vicky. Vicky was more of a third wheel in the friendship, which, I'm going to be quite honest, I would say can be very common between teenage girls when there's just three in a group. Not so much, obviously, when you come, become adults, etc. But Yeah, it's really difficult. Yeah. So this is what happened. Now, Vicky has since spoken out about this from when they were younger. And she said that there was like a power dynamic between Shay and the other two girls. Shay was the manipulative one who was the leader of the group. Now, with that being said, Vicky wasn't as affected with the manipulation as much as Lauren was. So Lauren was like a minion or a follower to Shay, which was possibly due to the fact that Lauren herself didn't have many or any friends until she had met Shay. So possibly she felt like she owed her something just for being her friend, which sadly caused Lauren to do anything she asked her to. At one point when Shay was in her teens, she had decided to run away from home just to get away from all of the, the abuse that was going on in the hopes for a better life or just something better would come along. Now, sadly, though, she didn't for quite some time. She ended up couch surfing. She was living with different boyfriends, all of which were abusive towards her. She was going around in a vicious circle by living with an abusive boyfriend to being kicked out. And then she'd find another abusive boyfriend, which then kicked her out. And then guess what? The same thing happened again and again. Now, during all of this as well, it wasn't as if she had magically cured her poor mental health. She was still, shock horror, very mentally unwell. And in order to help her deal with everything that was going on, she fell into drinking drugs even more. Now, with all of this going on and being stuck in this cycle... It's obvious that drugs and alcohol don't actually help you through any of these sorts of things. At least they don't help you in a healthy manner. Oh, um, no, absolutely not. See, when people are like, oh, like drinking just makes me feel better. I'm like, Aha, that that's not a good thing. Yeah, exactly. So, shock, nothing was helping her and she was just getting poorer and poorer. Now, finally, though. It seemed like there was about to be some light at the end of this tunnel for Shay because at the age of 20, now I say 20, this is, she's gone through so much shit and she is now just 20 years old. She met a man named Ashley, which seemed to go on to be quite a healthy relationship or at least the best type of relationship she's ever been in so far. Now, throughout the few months of the relationship, she began to become a happier version of herself and start to sort herself out especially when she became unexpectedly pregnant with Ashley's child, where she changed herself for the better. She quit the drink. She also quit the drugs because I'd say like any person, she wanted what was best for her and the baby. Now, as she was now pregnant, she began to get mental health support from doctors, which ended up giving Shay a diagnosis of complex PTSD, which would have come from the absolute crap she had to be put through throughout her childhood and adolescent life. 
Now, as well as this diagnosis was her bipolar disorder that was diagnosed years before. So in April 2017, Shay ends up giving birth to a wee baby girl and she was loving it. She was doing great. She was in her element caring for someone which she loved doing and she loved her child. She loved having someone to care for. Things were definitely on the up and up for Shay until not long after giving birth, Shay and Ashley, whom he's his dad, they broke up. Now, because of this, it pretty much leaves Shay and her daughter homeless because she took their child with her. At first, they went to a women's refuge centre, but then later she ended up reconnecting with her childhood friend, Lauren White. And they actually ended up moving in together because Lauren, too, had had a baby. And it was a baby girl, roughly around the same age as Shay's. So after a while of waiting, they both ended up getting a council house together in Lee Park in Hampshire. To be honest, this sounds great, you know, two friends and their daughters living together, helping each other navigate motherhood. And I guess it's something that you'd probably think about when you were younger to do with your best friend, possibly. Now, within such a short time frame, Shay's life had drastically changed. She'd got into her first decent relationship, fell pregnant, had a baby. Yes, things did fall apart with her partner, but now she's living with her best pal and her daughter. With that being said, though, Shay herself hasn't actually changed too drastically on what I'd say is the outside when it comes to image. Yes, she stopped the drinking drugs, but she was still this self-proclaimed goth wearing black, was into horror, heavy metal, kind of punk rock vibe. But that was who she was and she loved being that person. She liked being rather intimidating as well to others around her. And not long after all of this, Shay started to get tattoos, which is not an issue here. It's just for information and also just to paint you a picture. Now, she also got a few face tattoos, which included a dagger that looked as though it was going through her eye. Now, for me, it kind of gives me a Pennywise vibe, but we'll post the photos on our Instagram later on. Now, skip forward a few years. And her daughter's first full day at school, she posted a very proud mum Facebook status, which I feel is always expected to see on the Facebook at the start of the school year after summer. She called her daughter a beautiful, independent girl with a whole lot of attitude. And she said that she would always be there to guide her. So as far as we can see, life is going pretty well. However, Shane Lauren's relationship wasn't actually going that well. It was just as bad as it had always been if not worse now, as they are living together. As always, she was controlling and could manipulate Lauren very easily, as Lauren still felt like she was below her. As well as looking after her own child, Lauren was practically looking after Shay. She would wash and fold all of her clothes, roll her cigarettes, and she would even make Lauren put her socks on for her, which is absolutely ridiculous. And it is bully behaviour, because I'm sorry, Caitlin, you couldn't pay me to put your socks on unless you actually needed help. I was going to say, help. did you not put my socks on for me? Well, I would if you needed the help. And then, to be honest, you probably would kind of bully it into me. <laughs> me into it. <laughs> no, I, I get what you mean, nice though. Like, I think it's fine to like ask your friends to do things for you and get that support, but I think it's totally different if it's actually like a bullying culture. Like, That's not okay if she doesn't feel like she has a choice. She has to do it. 
Yeah, exactly. And this is what it was. It wasn't jokey behaviour. It was nothing like that. It was literally do this, do this, do this. You have to. Now, she was very controlling and it was just a power thing. She needed to feel superior and in control, which I guess it could all stem from when, well, with everything that she went through in her life. But obviously, I'm not going oh, to just Oh, I think absolutely. I know yeah. we can't diagnose, but I think the fact is she's had so little control of so many things that's happened to her that she probably now has control of something and is like, yup. Yeah, exactly. Now, she also went so far as to get CCTV cameras put into all of the common areas of the house so that she could know what's going on in all of the rooms at all times, which I think that's just gone too far. Like, it is a step too far. Now, that's, like, obsessive. Yeah, exactly. Now, like I said at the intro, this is probably the most up-to-date case I've done. So let's now jump to 2020. What happened in 2020? The coronavirus pandemic. Coronavirus. (laughs) Shit is real. Now, the world was turned upside down and we all took up hobbies such as making banana loaf, which, yes, I did take part in that. I also dyed one of them green with food colouring. Just because I could. Remember but we dyed all... your hair pink? Yeah. That failed miserably. It didn't even turn a slight ch- shade of pink. I think we no. just literally put pink colour through it and washed it right back out. Yeah. But that was... This was when you were allowed to see each trials. other, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this was... This was... Just when we were like, ha, I can't see anyone. Remember I dyed your hair? No, this was generally when you were allowed. <laughs> I think we even did it in your garden, actually, if I'm correct. Probably. I've flocked a lot out. (laughs) Yeah. But another thing to come out of the pandemic, I was going to actually say, was the love of true crime. And it really seemed to take off for a lot of people, us included, considering, you know, we rekindled the Sam and Caitlin friendship and the birth of the crime pod began. (laughs) (laughs) But I think actually there was like a lot because we were watching TV, because we couldn't go out, because people started listening to podcasts, like, lest we forget, um, what's it called? Tiger King. Tiger King came out in March 2020 so like that was everybody's first binge and I think if Tiger King had come out any other time there's no way it would have been as popular as it was it's because for the first time people had no choice but to sit and watch things and actually everyone watched it and I think that's then it became the thing because there was a lot of a lot of drama docuseries are about true crime so people that Mm -hmm. really like the docuseries thing of um, Tiger King then were like oh I want to watch more docuseries and a lot of docuseries end up being about Crime. So thank you, Tiger King, for getting us here. This is Joe Exotics doing. This is dedicated to Joe. (laughs) But no, you are completely correct. And I would say people got into a black hole of it. Um, But with this in mind, Shay was one of the many of us and she jumped on the true crime bandwagon. And yes, like a lot of people, including ourselves, you know, I'm not pot kettle black here. She was interested in true crime beforehand. She'd had watched the documentaries and she read the books. But now with being locked down, locked in, the information was at her fingertips and it just began to consume her. She would stay up into the late hours of the night watching true crime documentaries and reading all the books. She read this one book on Charles Bronson, who I don't think we've ever done an episode on, but she read it cover to cover multiple times, which, yeah, it's not a bad thing as it would be, you know, like we've read books cover to cover, I guess, a few times. But this is a fascination way more 
than interest. Yeah. Like, I think there's some comfort books. I've also got, like, some comfort series or programmes, and some of them are, like, docu-series. Like, there's, um, like, series that I'll, I've watched hundreds of times, but I'm like, oh, I find that really interesting, so, like, I'll put that on again. But it doesn't mean I'm fascinated to the stage where, like, it's all I can think about. Yeah. I think you need to remember that I was a person that fell asleep for about two years every night watching The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that's true. I'd be like, oh, I can't sleep. Let me put something comforting on. It'd be Hannibal Lecter, and I'd be like, oh, hello, Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that is true. So maybe, yeah, I'm not judging her too much. I am the problem. <laughs> you are. <laughs> but with this in mind, yes, you did stuff like that, that we can laugh about. You didn't act on it. You didn't become a cannibal. You didn't, you know, think, oh, I'm going to become Clarice. You didn't. Now, not that anyone knows. <laughs> With that, though, um, she wasn't as well as interested in it. She loved what these people did, why they did it. And she was idolising these monsters. She was fascinated with the crimes and how they were smart enough to get away with it for as long as they did. Or, you know, what went wrong? How did they get caught right away? You know, it wasn't more so just the psychological side or the indifference of how... They could even do it, you know, because as us, well, at least me, but I am talking for you too, you would never think of being able to do that sort of thing. So you wouldn't be like, oh, this is great. You watch it because you're like, how on earth has someone got that in their oh, brain to be able and to I do? Always, yeah, absolutely. And I always say, like, if someone's killed my family or you, then I'm like, yeah, I'd kill them. But actually, I say that. I could then see them and be like, Ah, <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, you just couldn't. Like, when it came to the moment, all talk, but I don't have the balls. Now, her obsession went so far because I'd even say it was like idolising so much like a teenager would idolise a music artist by putting posters up in their room. She actually bought posters of serial killers from places such as Etsy and she put them on her bedroom wall. There were posters of eight of the most notorious criminals in history that were not so much real life photos. It wasn't like mugshots or anything like that. They were prints that had been all made all artsy and some had blood dripping from their eyes. So, Caitlin, do you want to have any guesses of who was on her wall? You've got eight of the most notorious criminals in history. Okay, our listeners going to play along. Yes. Okay, Uh, Ted Bundy. Oh, ding, ding, ding. Of course, obviously. He'd be on your wall. (laughs) Stop it. That's not true. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes, he's cannibal and murderer, for those that don't know. Charles Manson. Yeah, you're good at this. He was a cult leader who I would just like to also say, fun fact, Angela Lansbury's daughter used to hang out with Charles Manson. Yep. Angela Lansbury was like, oh, I don't like this guy. And then they moved to Ireland or UK or something. Anyway, who else? H.H. Holmes? Nope. Is he not? No, he's not. Gacy? John Wayne Gacy? Mm, nope. Shite. Uh, I know, but that's like a clown. Richard. What? He was a clown. He was a fucking serial killer. You're a clown. <laughs> yeah, but he was also dressed up as a clown, did he not? Yeah, but it's not that a would scare killer. me. I don't want clowns on my wall or any right. of these people on my wall. Anyway, um, Richard Ramirez. Yes, the Night yeah. Stalker. Um, were any women? We have a couple of women. Uh, Eileen Wernos. Yes, she Thank was. You. 
from Florida and a sex worker who robbed and killed some clients. I'm just also giving some Thank information. Um, Harold Shipman? No, he's too basic, apparently. Uh, basic about Zodiac? Nope. Uh, We've got, let's say, UK. The UK now? Mm-hmm. Um, Myra Hindley? Yes, one half of the Moors murderers. Rose West? Of course, the other half to Fred. <laughs> <laughs> How many have we got left? I think one. You've done very well. If I get this. Mm-hmm. UK. No. UK. Jack the Ripper? No. Close. So close. Yorkshire Ripper. Yes. Peter Come on! <laughs> yes. That Look was at me. Everyone she had on her wall. Okay, no, I'm just looking at my wall. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That yeah, but... is bad. As much as mm-hmm. we were guessing that there, that's... I hate that shit, though. Like, I know you get, like, wee jokey things about Sarah because that, which is fine, okay, but... It's when, like, people actually, like, I've seen people with, like, tattoos of serial killers. I remember once seeing someone had a tattoo of the Columbine shooters, like, the actual photo of them no from way. the CCTV. Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, type in, like, Columbine shooters tattoo, and there's someone that's got, like, a silhouette of the two of them, like, that famous one where they've got, like, the gun in the canteen, and mm-hmm. they've got that tattooed on their arm. And that's when I'm just, like, too far, because we're not glorifying this. Yeah, exactly. So that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Totally. And these as well, like I said, they're kind of cute little prints and images. I'll I'll put them on um, Instagram for you to see. And if anybody obviously doesn't have Instagram, just Google it, Shea Groves, a wall or, or anything that, that will come up. You'll see it right away. Um, one last question as well, Caitlin. Do you want to guess how, roughly how many kills these people had between them? Oh, shit. Um... I don't need an exact number because I don't have an exact number. <laughs> You don't have an exact number, so am I just guessing for the sake of it? Just guess. Yes. 249. You were close, but you could have been. I don't know. It was over 100. There you go. Is that all you know? That's all I... I wasn't going to yeah, do the math. I don't have time. Well, I do, but I just didn't make time. Anyway, people, though, the fact of this is just the whole point of this kind of game fun sort of thing for you. It wasn't... You know what I mean. It was just this show. Eight people on her wall who have killed over a hundred people and she looks up to these people this isn't taylor swift or someone you know you have on your wall this she's not killed anyone now she claimed that the reason she had these posters was just for a bit of dark humor or because it was ironic or she also just said because it was art but unfortunately that wasn't the case she loved these people as well as the posters on the wall she also had a collection of weapons such as different blades knives daggers she had like a celtic dagger a flick knife that she kept in her boot and she also had bb guns she even said that the daggers were for use in her rituals as she was a pagan i don't actually know enough about pagans and i don't know why it would involve celtic daggers and rituals it is quite like Scottishy witchy vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might, to be fair, but still, I don't think that's like a good enough reason to have them. Have them. Also, sometimes I want to put in. She's talking about having all this stuff, the posters on the wall. Does she not live with her child? Yes. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, I'm guessing her child has another room, but I'm also guessing her child has no doubt seen this stuff. Now, possibly as well, though, as a child, as especially as a young child, you probably don't know who these, what you're looking at, or in the this case i just hope that i know we you talk about like killers that like their childhood was altered they were introduced to these people too young thing 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 yeah no that is a fair point 
But with all this information in mind as well, let's jump forward a wee bit. As she was now met a new boyfriend, 25-year-old Frankie Fitzgerald, who he was only a wee bit younger than her, so it wasn't like a huge age difference. Now, they met in a pub one night in February 2022. They got talking and they found out that they had loads in common and that they were both single parents as Frankie had two kids and he lived just around the corner. Their common interests included their kids, the pub, drugs, and being violent with each other too much and also too much drinking drugs. Now, yes, she is back on it. She was back on the drink before that, but she hadn't touched the drugs since before the, the pregnancy. Now, some people did blame it on Frankie as he did cocaine quite a bit and he would encourage her. But again, you can't fully blame someone else for her actions. Now, one of the biggest interests they had in common, and possibly why they were so much into each other, was because they both loved BDSM and kink play. Now, they bonded on that aspect of their relationship very quickly, and they both agreed how hard it was to find someone else who is into that sort of rough sex and kinks that you are also into. So they were loving the fact that they both found each other. Now, with all this being said, Frankie and Shay's relationship, it was quite short at roughly five months. Shay started going downhill pretty quickly. She was using drugs way more often than she had ever done. She wasn't seeing her friends that much and a lot of their time was spent having quite violent sex, which seemed consensual in the beginning. Now, as time went on, though, consent wasn't always explicitly given, nor was it asked for which in turn, parts of their relationship turned into domestic violence, which is a fact, once you take away consent, which we've talked about before, then it's no longer a relationship, it's abuse. Now, BDSM relies heavily on consent. And once you take that away, it's no longer BDSM. It's no longer fun or enjoyment. None of this, you can't link it to anything else apart from practically abuse, violence, etc. Now, Note, though, that this abuse was happening on both ends of the relationship. It wasn't just from one of them. Now, throughout this, they started arguing a lot in general. People around them said they were just bad for each other. They were jealous, possessive, controlling. They wanted to read each other's phones all of the time. They were accusing each other of cheating. And because they were having so many arguments in general, that when it came to having sex, they would be consensually violent with each other as if they were taking out this very real raw anger under the guise of BDSM as an excuse to hurt one another because they had this prior established consensual part to their relationship. Now, through all of, all of this, she became very depressed once again, and she actually started self-harming again. She'd actually stopped self-harming around the time that she had met Frankie because she was happy and she managed not to use that as one of her coping mechanisms. However, now that she was fully back on drugs and the arguing was worse than ever, she resorted back to self-harm. As the relationship was getting more abusive outside of sex, which was very apparent when they would have violent sex, that may or may not have been consensual because they didn't really care about each other afterwards. They would just beat each other up and then they'd move on with their day, which isn't BDSM. As part of that type of relationship, it does include aftercare and making sure that each other are okay, which they didn't care about in the end. Now, Yes, this relationship was five months long, but there was a whirlwind of events happening during this time. One day, she sat Frankie and Lauren down and she told them both that she'd been diagnosed with cancer and it was very serious. And they were going to have to help her a lot with everything. 
She needed help with childcare, hospital appointments, etc. And they did help her because that's what any partner and friend would actually do if someone had that and came towards and uh, came and asked for help. Now, they were both shocked and saddened to hear all of this news and they were obviously worried for her. And so, like I said, they did everything they could to help her. But they also started to support her financially. Yes, this is shocking and sad. It's taken a turn, you may be feeling, but you also may have guessed it. This was all a complete and utter lie. It was just another one of her manipulation tactics to be able to get whatever she wanted out of other people. This is just one of the many crazy events that were taking place in this short period of time. I mentioned earlier that both of them, Frankie and Shay, kept accusing one another of cheating. Now, sorry. Now, Frankie thought Shay was cheating with her ex-boyfriend, which I think was her daughter's dad. And Shay was accusing Frankie that he was cheating with some girl he had met at the pub. With that one, though, I don't really have any evidence to say that was true or not. Now, she was thinking this because she got thrush and she thought that Frankie must have caught it off of someone else and then given it to her like an STI, which I think can happen. But women can it just can happen. But also, yeah, it yeah. can just happen. And honestly, my thoughts are with you if you've got thrush. <laughs> exactly. Like there's not really any clear cut evidence. Of any of this cheating, because you ca- you can't just say I caught thrush. Now, throughout this whole time, we have to remember there's CCTV cameras in the communal areas of the house, but there's also CCTV camera in Shay's bedroom, which she had put there so that she could record or that they could record themselves having sex. They could make films and such like. So they both knew it was there and they wanted it. Now, these CCTV cameras actually came in very handy for the near future because you guessed it. There is going to be a court case happening in this story. And so these helped with the quotes and the knowing of what was actually happening inside the house. As part of BDSM, there is a type of play called consensual non-consent, which can also be known as rape play. Now, it's a kink where people basically agree to act as though they're being forced into it and act like they have not given consent, but they have, in fact, given prior consent. Now, this is what I got from online, so I do apologise if it's incorrect. If I'm talking absolute nonsense, please do correct me on my Instagram if this is the case, because I don't actually fully know. Now, anyways, how it's supposed to work is that partners who are going to be involved in this usually start everything off with a very full, honest and open discussion beforehand about what they feel comfortable giving blanket consent to. So, for example, they can say that it's okay for you to do this and this to me, but I don't consent to you doing that. Now, this whole idea that this prior discussion and consent is for the foreseeable future until they tell each other otherwise. This then allows a partner who wants to rate play, their partner can act as they have not given consent in that moment whilst they're, you know, in the moment. But they don't actually mean that because they've given prior consent, if that makes sense. Now, other information includes safe words or traffic light systems because it could be a red light, which means, you know, stop right now or, you know, amber. Like, I didn't like that, but we can keep going. I was going to say, it's, it's good that there is like, the traffic lights because it's very easy to give that consent. But then if you're generally being like, no, and they're like, Woo, that's terrible. Yeah, exactly. So there's loads of things to it. It's it's not like there's no rules. These things are, you know, safe to the fact of 
if you're in this relationship or if you're part of this community you follow the rules there is loads of consent happening this is not just on the whim now all in all there is a safe and consensual way to have this kink but this information that i've said is relevant because that's not what frankie and shay had that's what they acted like they had but they were not caring about each other and having these conversations outside of it all now, it was more of assuming that the other person will be fine with this or that. Now, it was Frankie that would do this to Shay more often than not, but she did too. But he would go from one type of sex to another without asking first. So he, at one point, just went straight in with anal, which you're just not supposed to do. Now, Shay did make it clear to Frankie that she was uncomfortable with what he'd just done on this one particular instance. She'd said something like, no, babe, like, no. But because she wasn't crying or distressed and she'd used the word babe, and it's not like she shouted at him, he never listened to her and he didn't think it was serious. They did later, though, have a conversation about this particular event and Frankie said to Shay, it was a bit rapey, wasn't it? Again, I just want to say this is where the CCTV cameras come in handy because the police managed to get so much information and quotes out of what was happening. So, you know, I'm not just making it up. Now, he knows that he was being rapey with his girlfriend because he admitted it, but he doesn't seem upset. And he's pretty much unbothered by it all. And he didn't even apologise for his behaviour. Now, Shay's response to this was that it hadn't been rape, but it had been as close to non-rape rape as I can get to. Now, this is where these agreements should come into play because they did not have one of these beforehand. He had just done it. She also played it down a bit because she tried to soften the actions by saying, you know, if you had raped me, I wouldn't feel safe around you and I wouldn't let you around my child. So she didn't see it as rape because she does feel safe around him and she lets him see her child. Now, from Shay's point of view, she didn't feel like she had been raped but it was pretty well close and she didn't like the lack of communication and the lack of asking for consent. Now, during one of the CCTV recordings, Frankie brings up her dagger collection as well because she kept one under her pillow. Now, one time as, with, as they were having sex, it slipped out and so Frankie asked her if she was planning on stabbing him in the throat and Shay obviously says, no, the knife is just there for protection, but not against him, just in general, if there's an intruder. So, in June 2022, which was only four months into their relationship that I mentioned earlier, they were both accusing each other of cheating. So, Shay's friends have said that around this point in June, her negative feelings towards Frankie were through the roof. She'd always kind of bitched about him, but at this point, she was determined to cause him harm and she wanted him to suffer. At one point, she was potentially going to release the CCTV videos of them having sex and edit them to make it look fully non-consensual, as that could ruin his life. That would be physical proof of him being a rapist, and she talked about how she could post it online. She also mentioned attacking him physically, or, if not her, getting someone else to do it. Now, around this time, though, they also did break up, but they very quickly got back together. If you hadn't heard it by now or seen it by now this is a very toxic relationship from both parties now one of their breakups Shay had 
done it over the phone. And then she got her ex-boyfriend, who she was potentially seeing again, to come down to the house, pack up all of Frankie's stuff, then go and dump it all on his ex-girlfriend's front garden. So Frankie then has to pick up his stuff outside his ex-ex-girlfriend's place from where his ex-girlfriend had put it. Now, anyways, even after all of this, they make up and he takes his stuff back into Shay's place. So that was June 2022. Let's take a small jump to the 14th of July 2022. They are back living together, but on this day, Frankie found proof that Shay was in fact seeing her ex-boyfriend again. Oh no! Yes. Now, he's went through her phone, which they often did, like I said, and he has found sex between them both. He was furious with what he had found and went to confront Shay about it. And he did threaten physical violence, but he didn't actually hit her. He did punch a couple of walls, though, and then he left her house. Two days later, after this incident, on Tuesday, the 16th of July, 2022, Shay's daughter was away staying at her dad's house and Shay was home alone, possibly with Lauren, but she had been elsewhere in the house. And so she calls Frankie and asks him to come round, despite the fact of what had just happened two days earlier. Now, they were wanting to see each other to talk about what had just happened, which I guess does seem pretty reasonable. But let's be honest, this is not going to end well. Instead of talking it out, they both got drunk did a load of cocaine, started shouting at each other and scrolling through one another's phone. Frankie ended up begging Shay for some money to gamble and she ended up giving him it, which is really strange because they're literally arguing. And so everything that's happening that night is just really strange and bizarre. Now, eventually, Frankie went off into Shay's bedroom and he fell asleep on her bed. While Shay stayed up, still drunk, doing drugs, and going through his phone. This was not good because she ended up coming across something she really did not want to see. She had found text between Frankie and a girl who claimed that she was 13 years old. Now remember, Frankie is 25. He wasn't just cheating on her with other girls. Now she was convinced that he was a paedophile as well. With the amount of drugs and alcohol in her system and with what she had just come across, she was absolutely fuming and overcome with rage. Rage, sorry, not range. <laughs> At this minute, she is reading these messages from supposedly a 13-year-old girl and she thinks her boyfriend is a paedophile cheating on her child, cheating on her, sorry. Now, obviously, her childhood traumas come rushing back about how she was sexually abused as a young girl. And she was feeling all of this anger towards Frankie and all of her sympathy for this supposed young girl. Now, I will note, though, that the girl that this message was from was, in fact, later found out to be a 17 year old girl, which is still young considering he's 25. But it was also found that Frankie had actually blocked her when he found out her age or when she said that she was 13, which I think was supposed to be a joke where she said that she was 13. And so he blocked her, but I don't actually know where the funny part of that joke is supposed to be. Now, so far, as I'm aware, nothing had actually happened between them both. But from Shay's point of view, she had just read texts between her 25-year-old boyfriend and a 13-year-old girl. 
At this point, she was seeing red. And so she slammed the phone down, ran to her bedroom where Frankie was asleep on the bed, grabbed one of her decorative daggers from the display, and she stabbed her boyfriend in the neck as he slept. This one singular stab wound would have been enough to kill him. But she didn't just stop there, did she? She went on and sliced his left carotid, car, I can't say this word, carotid, carotid, sorry, artery, and part of the Yeah, artery, thanks, and partly severed his jugular. Again, that would have done the job, but no, she is still in such a fit of rage that she kept stabbing him to make sure that he was going to die. It was a frenzied attack. She stabbed him in the neck and the chest a total of 22 times. Once she was finished, she sat there knowing that he was definitely dead. He was no longer moving or making any kind of gurgling noises because she later told the police that there were gurgling sounds coming from his throat that stopped before she stopped stabbing him. Now let's revert back to not long into this episode where I mentioned the start of lockdown where her true crime interest became a complete obsession and she was idolising all these killers. Well Shay is now one of them. She starts going over everything in her head that she's learned from all of these true crime documentaries she's watched. She knows the importance of setting up an alibi immediately. She knew how to clean up the crime scene and she was debating how she was going to get rid of the body. Of course, someone was going to have to find Frankie's body and she was going to have to come up with an excuse. So with all of this swirling around in her head, she starts getting to work by sorting herself an alibi. She texted her ex-boyfriend asking if he wanted to come around that night, which he didn't end up doing. But I mean, if he did, then he'd have seen the dead body and all the mess. So I don't think he'd have been much of an alibi there. Now, she was probably hoping that if the police did get in contact that her ex would then give her an alibi and say that she she was with him the whole night and that she clearly couldn't have killed Frankie but with all this this first move it just makes no sense it's not a smart move at all there's no alibi coming so she then went on to text her friend Vicky to say that Frankie had just left her house which is her setting up a text should the police ever ask that oh, you know, he was with me, but he left safe and sound. And so something bad must have happened after he had left me. But in hindsight, it's just a pretty random text. It wasn't something that she did each day he left. It was just out of the blue. So really, it just makes her look suspicious. Now, she then decided to go and knock on Lauren's bedroom door. And she ended up telling her what she had just done to Frankie. So these, so far, we've got two random not good alibis and she's just told someone what she's done. So they both go through and look at his dead body, still laying there on the bed, and they start discussing what they're going to do and what they're going to do with the body. They thought about burying him in the garden and she also suggested that they could try and frame it as a suicide. But let's be honest... 22 stab wounds that couldn't be self-inflicted surely wouldn't even be considered by the emergency services as suicide. Now, flipping forward, one thing she did say was that he was suicidal anyway. But again, that doesn't mean that nobody's going to raise a question as to how he ended up with 22 stab wounds. And even if he was suicidal, he does not deserve to be murdered. As they discuss what they are going to do with the body, 
As a mega true crime obsessor, you'd think that Shay would be dealing with all of this in a lot better manner than she actually is at this point. But they start trying to clean up the house. They start scrubbing away the blood, get out bin bags and they lay them on the floor. And then they pick up Frankie's body and put him on top of the bin bags so that they can start cleaning up the bed. Now, at this point, you may be wondering why Lauren is even helping her out. But remember their history and the hold that Shay has over her. It doesn't take long for the manipulative behaviour to begin. And Shay tells Lauren that she needs to help her clean up the murder because she was now an accomplice and she'd already helped to wipe up some of the blood and helped pick up Frankie's body and move it onto the bin bags. She said that if Lauren ever dared tell on her or tell the police or anything or anyone, then she would be going down too. Lauren later said that she was very scared of Shay. She was scared of what Shay might do to her if she didn't go along with it. Then would she also turn around and kill Lauren as well you know what was she to do so she just went along with everything that she was saying and everything that she asked her to do she did it now despite all of the effort that went into covering up this murder police were actually informed in less than six hours after the murder took place the police found out through Shay's third friend Vicky you know the third wheel of the trio Shay and Lauren knew about this whole thing and so they wanted to get Vicky in on it. Now I say they, it, you know, it was Shay that wanted Vicky to get in on it. So they told her what happened via a FaceTime that Shay had initiated. She actually showed Vicky close-ups and different angles of Frankie's dead body. Now Vicky said that she did freak out over this and she started shouting at Shay, but Shay wasn't taking any of it seriously. She was laughing, smiling and making jokes and Vicky didn't really know what to do in this situation. As soon as she got off the FaceTime though, Vicky called the police and told them exactly what had just happened. Police arrived at her house that same morning because, you know, this happened late evening, early hours of the morning. Now she answered the door and she seemed very relaxed. She was in her pink fluffy dressing gown and she had a cigarette in her hand without a care in the world. As soon as she opened the door, they were hit with the overwhelming smell of bleach coming out of the house. So they immediately knew that the cleanup had well been underway. Police were very straight with her and they told her that they were there to investigate reports of a murder. They said that they'd heard someone had been shown a dead body at your address and we need to look around. And at this point, she couldn't really do anything. And, you know, she couldn't deny it. So she let them inside. She had managed to clean up actually a good amount of the crime scene, but she hadn't got rid of the body yet. When police walked into Shay's bedroom, they saw the dead body of 25-year-old Frankie Fitzgerald laying on a pile of bin bags. When they went into the bathroom, they found the murder weapon, which was a dagger. Although at this point, it had been washed and left in the sink. It was only one of Shay's, but it was the only one of Shay's daggers that was out of its decorative place. So the assumption that it was a murder weapon, you know, it's, it's a pretty sure one. Now, both Lauren and Shay were arrested on the spot and they were taken to the police station for questioning. Shay didn't even try to deny the murder and she pretty much admitted that, yes, she did kill Frankie. But she tried to say that it was in self-defence. She t told officers that they'd gotten into a huge physical fight that night which she genuinely feared for her life. She said that he had pinned her up by the neck on the bed to the point where she was losing vision and consciousness and she knew she had to do something to get him off of her. So that's when she said she reached to one of her shelves next to her and just grabbed something and hit him with it. And that was when she realised that it was a dagger that she'd picked up and she'd hit him with the blade first in the neck. 
She said that all of this had come about after she'd found these texts to a 13-year-old girl on his phone. She hated him for being a paedophile and for cheating on her. She hated him for doing this to a child. And so that's kind of what sparked this physical fight that night, which ended up in self-defence. Now, Shay's self-defence story, though, it didn't add up to any of the crime scene evidence. Considering he has 22 stab wounds and she has absolutely nothing. The police did confront her. Um, as they asked why she kept going and she said it was because she could hear him gurgling blood through his throat and that she thought it was a kind of humane thing to do to just essentially put him out of his misery. This has taken a wild turn. Yes it really has Um, but she was going with it. She was rolling with this sort of story of what was happening. So let's be real It's self-defence and she put him out of his misery like you would, say, an animal. She thinks that's normal, even though she also thinks she's got all this great information because she's been looking up to all these, you know, murderers throughout her life. Now, following the autopsy research, it was more evidence to the point that the fact that Frankie was most likely asleep when the incident took place. He was laying down on the bed asleep and not pinning her up by the neck. So was clearly not a threat to her life and they were not even fighting. A lot of it started coming together and making more sense when the police started interviewing Lauren. Now Lauren said that her friend is just like this. She's a very angry, violent woman who has had issues with her boyfriend for months since they got together. Nothing had ever been good between them. She said that her friend was very manipulative, was always controlling the people around her to do things for her and actually That's how she got swept up in all of this that night, because she had been manipulating her into helping clean up the crime scene. Lauren did end up getting charged for this. The first charge was for being an accessory to murder and helping to clean up the crime scene. But also on top of that, when she was in police questioning, she had refused to give over her phone password, which hindered the police investigation. Yes, they did get the password or got into the phone another way, but she had delayed the investigation. I don't know why she wouldn't give over a password. There might have been a reason, but that's what happened. Now, all of these charges, though, were eventually dropped when the police realised the situation and they realised that she was manipulated and she didn't actually have anything to do with the actual murder. She had acted out of duress and was scared that she was going to kill her too. The charges were dropped because they understood the situation, but they were also dropped because she agreed to give evidence against Shay and say that everything she'd seen in the house that night. Even Shay admitted to the police that Lauren had nothing to do with the murder itself and that she wasn't even in the room when Frankie died, which is very surprising coming coming from Shay because she had told Lauren, you know, "I'll, I'll throw you under the bus practically. But again, Could it be that stage of being a murderer that you want to have all the credit for it? That's maybe where she's at now. Now let's jump forward seven months because the trial begins. At this point, she is still sticking with the whole self-defence story. Now, Shay's defence presented videos from the CCTV camera in her bedroom that supposedly showed Frankie sexually assaulting her and being violent with her without her consent. Although... When these videos were properly studied and the raw files were studied, it was found that they had been edited. There were sections that had been cut out where the couple had had some level of discussion, not that there was very much discussion or consent that should have been involved. But when you add all of these back into the proper footage, 
you can see that they just had a very poorly thought out relationship that they thought was BDSM. Now, Lauren and Vicky also gave evidence in court because Lauren had been there the whole time and Vicky had been there for the mental FaceTime call. And there were certain things that Shay was saying throughout the cleanup, things that hinted that he was asleep when she killed him. They told the courts about how she was smiling and giggling as she was cleaning up the crime scene and that she was figuring out how she was going to get rid of the body. At the end of the trial, Shay's self-defence claim was thrown out by the judge and she was found guilty of murder. She was given a life sentence with a minimum of 23 years, which means that she'll be eligible for release at the age of 50. This is a crazy case of Shay Groves and how her true crime obsession clearly did not help her in any way, shape or form in the end like she thought it would. It was just probably a mixture of also the media playing with this whole true crime fantasy, but also the fact that this girl did have mental problems there was something not right there but she is behind bars I don't have any further information do you have any thoughts I I don't know what I expected Mm -hmm. from this case if I'm completely honest with you but um that's nuts and I feel like yes her childhood was absolutely horrific and I totally get that but like I don't think anyone would have seen it coming to this extent mm-hmm. um I think you can really obviously look into things and be like oh like this could have offended it this could have offended it so much could have offended it but I think actually like there was a lot of signs that were maybe missed like the pictures being on the wall but then who's going to report it I think that's when it's then really difficult because it's like actually yeah we're now talking about that and saying that's not great that shouldn't have been a thing but actually what if her flatmate went to the police and said actually yeah my roommate has this on the wall what what are the police gonna do that's technically yeah it's not illegal Mm -hmm. yeah to be like actually yeah that's that's not okay um we need to get rid of that That, that's never going to happen so it's like actually what's the point without her like nobody could have done anything what's the point in saying anything so actually yeah it's a really tricky one because I'd like to think there was something somebody could have done but I I don't think there is yeah I think it's one of those ones where in hindsight you look at this she's had an awful childhood she's had an awful bringing up there should have been something in the system that could have helped her A, a man lost his life a 25 year old man Frankie was stabbed to death he is no like he can't grow old because of yeah. this woman but us saying this there's possibly, even if she did get help, this still could have happened. We don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 